If you brought your copy of Scripture, or if you don't have one, I'd encourage you to take out the Navy Bible on the pew in front of you. And turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're doing something a little bit different today. Uh, the text that we come to in our trek through the book of 1 Corinthians today takes us to the Lord's Supper. That's the topic of our text today. Uh, and as we typically do, we typically have a, a communion meditation before we take communion. We thought today it would be appropriate for this sermon on this text to serve as a kind of extended communion meditation for us. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take communion after the sermon today, seeing as our text is on the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll start in verse 17 here in just a moment. Now I know not all of us have this experience, but I, by the grace of God, grew up in a Christian home uh, and that meant I grew up going to church every Sunday. And I grew up in a church of Christ, and so for as long as I can remember, we have had communion every single Sunday, every single week, uh, since I was born practically. And so, as you can imagine, I've got a lot of memories about communion. Uh, some of them are not what you would think. For example, uh, when I was young, before I became a Christian, maybe I was about 10 or 9 or so, uh, at our church... We would have what's called monthly duties. A couple would volunteer for about a month to take care of opening and closing the building. Uh, but what that would also mean is they were taking care of preparing the Lord's Supper before Sunday morning service and cleaning up after Sunday morning service. And so the, the neat thing about this was when my parents had monthly duties and we were little, my parents would take all the trays. Remember how we used to pass communion in trays? Well, I don't know when we'll do that again. But my parents would take all the trays and they'd take them back to the kitchen and they'd start cleaning it up. But my sisters and I would go back there with them and we would finish off all the grape juice and finish off all the, the unleavened bread that was in the trays. And I mean, maybe that's, I don't think that's desecrating the Lord's Supper, but it, it, we just thought it was the coolest thing in the world before we were Christians to do that. Uh, another memory I have of communion is being at my grandparents' church. Now, my granddad and my grandmother on my mom's side, they're not alive anymore. Uh, but my granddad used to preach at a church just outside of Glasgow down the road here, a little country church. Uh, and so every time we'd go visit my mom's family, we would go to church with them on Sunday mornings. And I remember sitting in the pews on one Sunday morning, and this, this family about two rows up from us had a little toddler. The mom was holding the toddler, and as the tray with the, the juice comes around, that toddler grabbed one of the little cups and started pouring it down his throat like from above, and, and kind of got it all over his clothes and got it all over his mom, and then he started coughing because he didn't swallow it right, and the next thing you know, communion is just off the rails. Like, the whole church is laughing. We're trying to focus on Jesus and his death, but this toddler made it hilarious. When I was 13, when I was 13, I got baptized. And in our church, that not only meant that I could now take communion, but it also meant that I was also now part of the volunteer pool to hand out communion on Sundays, okay? 13 years old, and one of the guys taps me on the shoulder as we come to church that morning. He says, John, we want you to stand up there and help pass out communion. And I just started shaking in my boots, and I said yes, because I wanted to be nice, but this is the first time I've ever done this. And so what we used to do is we had all the, the gentlemen line up up here, and we'd pass out all the plates in the front, and then they'd have a prayer as we were holding our plates, right? I'm holding my plate full of unleavened bread that's supposed to represent Christ's body and they start praying and I drop the thing on the floor and the bread spills all over the carpet and I'm, I don't know what I should do should I clean it up should I try to put it back in and serve that to people I I'm getting completely nervous and I just felt awful I felt so bad and then 
I'm 13, I'm already as self-conscious as you can be. I went down and I sat back in the front row. All of us young people used to sit in the front row together for the second row. And my friend Jeremy, who was very nice at that, that time, he leaned over to me and kind of just eased the tension. He said, John, you're going to hell for that one. <laughs> and I, I know you should never joke about that, right? It held a serious thing, very serious thing. But it helped, it eased the tension, because I just felt horrible, and so we were all just laughing at that. But as I grew up, as I grew older, it, it helped me to understand through not only taking communion every week, through listening to what was said during communion, through hearing sermons every now and then on communion, but most importantly through older men and women who have been Christians longer than me, to understand what communion was really all about to understand how deep and important of a time this is every single week when we come together. And I think, I think there have been some misunderstandings about communion that many, many, many Christians have carried throughout the years. And I think one of them comes from our text today. Let me show you what I mean. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, let's read through, we're going to read through chapters, or verses 17 through 34 today, okay? So, Lord willing, we're going to finish out chapter 11 in 1 Corinthians today, one chapter closer to finishing the book. Uh, verse 17, the word of the Lord through the Apostle Paul. I'm reading through the ESV. Uh, if you have a, a translation that's a bit different, that's perfectly fine. just might be different in little spots here and there. Paul writes, But in the following instructions I do not commend you, because when you come together it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church... I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come." A few things I want us to walk away this morning with our text. A few things in our text I want to walk away with. The first is not the main point of the text, actually, but it's something that we do not need to gloss over in light of recent events. 
Three times in our text, Paul says this phrase, when you come together. Look at verse 18. Verse 18 says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church. Then on to verse 20. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Verse 33, so then, my brothers, when you come together to eat. When you come together. Three times he says it. The Lord's Supper is something that the church does when it comes together. The Lord's Supper is something that is to be done when the church comes together. I've said this before in sermons on this topic, but if a couple comes to me and asks me to do their wedding, and they say, we want to have communion at our wedding, I'll say, I'm not going to do that. You you can either not do communion or, or find another minister. And you say, well, what's the, what's the big deal? Well, it's because in Scripture, the church, the church as a gathering is when communion is supposed to happen. Communion is not just something that we do whenever and wherever to give a nod to Jesus' death and resurrection. No, it's supposed to be done when the church gathers together. This is a communal event with the body of Christ. Communal. Hear the root word in there. Communion, communal. This is a fellowship meal with one another. Communion, taking the Lord's Supper, is not simply a moment between you and God. It is not simply a moment between you and God. It is that, but it's more than that. It is not only that. There's a a trend in the church today to get people to come to a worship service, but then to, to have them forget about those around them. Close your eyes. Let's turn down the lights. Forget about those around you. It's just between you and God. It's just you and the Lord. Brothers and sisters, that's not biblical in many different ways. And one of the ways is the Lord's Supper. This is not a moment simply between you and God. It's also a moment between brothers and sisters in Christ. Look back one chapter with me in your Bibles at chapter 10, verse 17. Chapter 10, verse 17. We covered this a few weeks ago. Paul writes in verse 17 there of chapter 10, Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Do you see the stress he's putting on the communal aspect of communion right here? One body, one bread, we all partake together. You see, churches all across the world right now are grappling with the fact that for many months... We have put our worship services online. And members, for many months, had to watch worship services from their living rooms. Right? Some some haven't had a choice and are still doing that because of health reasons. What have we learned from that experience? Probably a lot of things. But there's one thing I hope that we have learned from that experience of shutting down the church, of not being able to gather, putting our worship services online... And for many months, for some of us, having to watch the worship service from our living rooms, one thing I hope everyone has learned, watching a worship service in your living room is not church. It's not. Now, church is not a building. We've heard that, right? Church is not a building. We've heard that plenty of times. But church is also not a Sunday morning experience. A checklist of things. As long as I do these things on a Sunday morning, I've done church. As long as I sing in some way and pray in some way and take communion and hear some kind of sermon, as long as I do those things on a Sunday morning, it doesn't matter if I do them with other believers or by myself, I've done church. Years ago, I was in Owensboro talking to an older gentleman 
who didn't even go to my church. He went to a different church, but I, I knew him in the community. And he was telling me about how he got upset at somebody in his church. And so he said, my wife and I aren't going to that church anymore. And I said, oh, really, where are you going? And he said, well, we're just going to do church in our living room at home on Sunday mornings. Brothers and sisters, I didn't know it then, but that sentence doesn't make sense. That's a nonsensical sentence. Because that's not what church is. That's not what the word church means. Church is not making sure you do certain things on Sunday mornings. It's not a Sunday morning experience. Church is a group of people who commit to Jesus and then commit to helping one another follow Jesus. We commit to Jesus and we commit to one another. Church is not a building. Church is not an experience on Sunday morning. Church is a group of people, a group of believers who have committed to one another to follow Jesus together. And so, church isn't something that, that we just watch. It can't be something that we just watch. Because, brothers and sisters, you, you are the church. Look at your bulletin for a moment with me. Look at the, the top of the page on the bulletin page that has the order of worship. The top of the page, the order of worship page. What's it say at the very top of the page? It says, the Lord's Day Assembly. That is a beautiful an accurate way to state what we are doing right here, right now. It's perfect, right? This is the Lord's Day. Sunday is the Lord's Day. And we are assembling together. This is the assembly of the church. This is not church. This is the assembly of the church. Does that make sense? We are the church. We are assembling together. And communion is something that the church does as it comes together. Now, we have people who wish they could gather with us and can't. We have shut-ins. Even before COVID-19, we have people who, because of health, cannot gather with the church. And we will take communion to them, right? Because we want to extend to them a participation in the body of Christ. But what we need to understand, brothers and sisters, is that is not ideal, right? They wish they could gather and they can't. That's not ideal. Just because there are some that we extend out to, and we try to help them be a part of the body of Christ without gathering with us, that does not mean we want to create an atmosphere where there are those who can gather with us and yet do not because they just do church online or do church at home. That's not what church is. And the Lord's Supper is one particular aspect of that. The church is the church when it gathers Yes, the church is the church when it goes and does the Lord's work and proclaims the Lord's word. But there wouldn't be a church if there weren't a gathering of the church, a regular gathering of the church. For instance, let's say you have a group of young men and they all like to play basketball. Let's say you even have an older man who helps them to understand how to play basketball. Well, you can call that a basketball team, but unless those men come together, unless those young men come together to compete at the same time, it's not a basketball team. It's not a team until they come together, until they gather for the same purpose. So the Lord's Supper is something we do when we gather together as a church. But also in our text, I want to focus now for just a moment on the unworthy manner that Paul talks about. What is the unworthy manner? Look at verse 27. Paul says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. 
Verse 29 says, if you do it in an unworthy manner, you'll be eating and drinking judgment on yourself. When I was younger, this made me nervous. This made me really nervous. Because I would take communion after I was 13. I was always taking communion. And, uh, you know, usually someone would stand up here and read those words, just those verses, maybe 27 through 29, and then they would say something to the effect of, now, if you're not thinking about Jesus' blood, if you're not thinking about Jesus' body, if your mind wanders to something else, you're taking this in an unworthy manner. And so I'd be sitting there, you know, especially as a teenager, trying to focus on the Lord, and any time my mind would wonder, I would think, did I just upset God? Did I just make God mad? And is God pouring out judgment on me now because my mind wandered to something else for a second during the Lord's Supper time? So I used to get really nervous about this, but you know what happened? We had kids. Grew up, got married, and we had kids. Now what happens when you got a couple little toddlers in the pew right next to you during a communion time? Well, I'll tell you what happens. Your mind is going from the Lord's Supper to them, from the Lord's Supper to them, from the Lord's Supper to them. You're trying to get them to be quiet so that everybody around you can have a good communion experience. You are trying to get them to stop fighting with one another. All of a sudden, there's 40 goldfish on the floor, and they're crunching them into the carpet. And you're just trying your best to take communion in a worthy manner, right? But when that happened, I came to the realization. I said, there is no way that God is looking down on the single mom who just got her three kids dressed and out the door that morning to church. And she is trying as hard as she can to make her kids sit still and pay attention so that those around her can have a good communion experience. There is no way the Lord is looking at that mom and saying, shame on her. There is no way, right? It's impossible because we know our God. We know the compassion of our God and the understanding of our God. And so the question remains then, what is the unworthy manner? If it's not your mind wandering to something else, what is it? And brothers and sisters, verse 29 is the key. Verse 29. Now, I did not see this until this past week. Some of you might be like, after you hear this, you might be like, I saw that 30 years ago, John, but I I just didn't. I didn't see it until this past week. But it is the key that unlocks this whole thing. Verse 29, it says, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Brothers and sisters, I present to you this morning that body right there does not mean Jesus' physical body. That body right there means the body of Christ, the church. Verse 29, anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body or without concern for the body of Christ, their brothers and sisters in Christ who are taking it with them, anyone who does it that way eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now, if you are sitting there saying, well, wait a second, John, I've, I've been taught differently all my life. You're just pulling a theological rabbit out of a hat here. Right? Let me show you where we get this and how this actually makes sense. First of all, go back to the first set of verses that we read, verses 17 through 22. Why is Paul writing this? Let's ask that question. Why is Paul writing this whole section? What's the point? What brought about him writing this section of Scripture about the Lord's Supper? The reason he's writing it is because the Corinthians were taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And the unworthy manner that they were taking it in was division, selfishness. Look at verses 20 through 22. Paul says, when you come together, you Corinthians, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead. 
with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. Do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? You see, back then, the Lord's Supper was actually a meal, a real meal, right? It was more than just a little cup with juice and a little cracker. It was a a big meal. But what was happening was the wealthy people were getting there first, probably because they had certain means of travel that other people didn't have, We don't know all the details, but the wealthy people were apparently getting there first and taking everything for themselves, enjoying it all for themselves. And then when the poor would come, the poor who are just as much a part of the body of Christ as the wealthy people, when the poor would come, they had nothing left. And so Paul tells them, you're not eating the Lord's Supper, because the Lord's Supper is supposed to be something that we do with one another as the body of Christ. No, you're not eating the Lord's Supper. You're just coming together and taking food for yourselves taking drink for yourselves, filling your own bodies, filling your own stomachs, indulging on your own. This is a selfishness thing for them. They're partaking of the Lord's Supper in division, right? That's why Paul wrote this text. And so when he comes down to the unworthy manner, we're so used to hearing those words lifted up out of context and quoted before we take the communion emblems that we've forgotten We've forgotten the context that they are in is this this Corinthian context of division, of people not taking the Lord's Supper united to one another. Remember, chapter 10, verse 17 that we already read, where Paul says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. It's clear in that verse he means the body of Christ, not the physical body of Jesus, but the church. We are one body, so we partake of the one bread. So we've already got in chapter 10 Paul using body, not as Jesus' physical body, but as the church body. We've already got him using that language in context of the Lord's Supper. Now we've got it again, verse 29. Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, without concern for the church, their brothers and sisters in Christ, that's how you eat and drink judgment on yourself. The unworthy manner is disunity, selfishness, Remember, the entire book of 1 Corinthians is about unity. The Lord's Supper is supposed to be an act of unity. We are all coming to this table together. We all come to this table together. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your gender or your economic status or whatever. The only thing that is required is that you are following Christ by faith. It's the only thing required to be at this table But if you take the Lord's Supper without any concern for your brothers or sisters, if you do it selfishly, with division in your heart, you are eating and drinking judgment upon yourself. For example, let's say someone comes into Sunday morning service, they sit down, they pass out the emblems, and they're about ready to take the Lord's Supper. But all the while, they are harboring hatred and bitterness toward their brother in Christ two pews over. They've taken the Lord's Supper. It's an act of unity among the church, and yet there's not unity. Not between those two. Those two have separation. Those two are not united under Christ. I would advise you actually today, brothers and sisters, if you have unresolved bitterness or animosity between you and another church member, I would actually advise you not to take communion until you at least have sought out reconciliation with them. Perhaps you won't be reconciled to them. It takes two parties to reconcile. But until you have at least sought that out, I would actually advise you not to eat and drink judgment upon yourself. 
But let's talk about the proper manner for a second. If that is the unworthy manner, disunity, selfishness, taking the Lord's Supper divided from your brothers and sisters in Christ, what's the proper manner to do it? Because there's much to be said from this text on how to do it properly. Verse 28 says, let a person examine himself then. When we come to the Lord's Supper, we examine ourselves. We examine ourselves in light of this passage, in light of what we've been talking about, unity. We ask ourselves questions like, am I taking this in solidarity with my brothers and sisters in Christ? Am I united to these believers in my heart? Am I forgiving those that have sinned against me? Are we accepting one another in the Lord? Accepting one another. Do we understand, brothers and sisters, that no one in here is better or worse than anyone else? I am no better than anyone here. All of us are unworthy. Do we understand that? Do I understand that as I take the Lord's Supper? All of us are unworthy. That our seat at this table has been given to us by the grace of God. Undeserved. You know, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is David's interaction with a man by the name of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. It's a tongue twister, Hebrew names. But back in 2 Samuel chapter 9, David is king, and David asks to his court, he asks, is there anyone I can show kindness to? Is there anyone still related to Saul? Anyone from the house of Saul that I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? You see, before David became king, him and Jonathan, Saul's son, became best of friends. It was like the Lord knit their hearts together. There was an intimacy of friendship that some of you might have experienced before with someone else. But see, Jonathan was Saul's son. Jonathan was the son of the king. But the Lord chose to reject Saul and his descendants from the line of kings and to choose David as the new king. Well, Jonathan, in, in a, a wonderful display of humility, realizes that he's not going to ascend to the throne. It's going to be David. It's not him. Even though he's the son of the king, it's going to be David. And Jonathan, Jonathan accepts that in his heart and loves David and supports David even as his father tries to kill David. And at one point, David and Jonathan meet with one another and they don't know if they're ever going to see each other again. And Jonathan says, you're going to be king. Will you show kindness to my family for the sake of our friendship when you're king? I know you're going to be king. And you're going to be a great king. Will you show kindness to my family? David says yes. He makes an oath with Jonathan right then and there. Well, later, as David's been king for a while, he remembers his oath. He stays true to his oath. And he says, is there anyone in the house of Saul that I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? Someone pipes up and says, well, there's one guy, Mephibosheth, but he's not really your crowd. He's a beggar. He's lame in both of his feet. He's poor. I mean, I don't know if that's the guy you really want to honor. David says, bring him here right now. Well, Mephibosheth shows up in the presence of the king. And you can tell Mephibosheth kind of has it in his head. Perhaps the wrath of the king is about to descend upon me. Perhaps I'm in trouble. Right? And David says, Mephibosheth, since you are the descendant of Saul and of Jonathan, I give to you all the land that Saul had and all the servants that Saul had. Here's your house. Here's your piece of land. And all these servants are going to tend the land for you and bring in its fruit and bring in its produce. They're going to do everything for you that you need. You will have all your needs taken care of. And Mephibosheth, from now on, at every meal, you have a seat at the king's table. And Mephibosheth cannot believe what just happened. 
He bows his head and he says, Who am I that my Lord the King should notice a dead dog such as me? And yet he has a place at the king's table forever. Brothers and sisters, that's us. That's us. Who am I that God would notice a sinner like me, a dead dog of a man like me, and give me a seat at his table only for the sake of Jesus, his son, who shed his blood for us all? You see, this table, brothers and sisters, is the great leveling of the playing field. It doesn't matter who you are. You don't come to this table because you earned it. Nobody does. We all come to this table only by the grace of God. And we all come to this table in need of the blood of Jesus. Verses 24 through 25 tell us, in Jesus' own words, remember Jesus. That's part of the proper manner of taking the Lord's Supper. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. We've got it etched into this table on the front of it. Remember, Jesus gave these words to his disciples in the upper room in the Last Supper. Paul wasn't there. Paul was not there. Paul was not a Christian at that time. Jesus had to show Paul who he was. And then Jesus, Paul said, Paul said he received this from the Lord and he passed it on to the Corinthians. So Jesus had to tell Paul. Jesus had to apparently tell Paul, this is what, this is what I did, this is what I said. And so part of the proper manner is remembering Jesus' death. As we take these emblems, sometimes we call them a sensory memorial. right? Sensory because it's taste, it's touch, it's sight. But it's a memorial we remember what Jesus did. We are all united only because He died. His death is what unites us. His death is what leveled the playing field for everyone. So rich or poor, male or female, old or young, white or black or something else, every one of us is a sinner. Every one of us needs His blood to cleanse us of our sins. If the Lord's Supper is a communal meal to be done in unity, with your brothers and sisters in Christ. The only way that unity happens is by Jesus' blood, by us receiving forgiveness at the foot of the cross. So we remember Jesus' death. And verse 26 is very important. It says, as we take the Lord's Supper, we proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Now what does that actually mean? We proclaim the Lord's death. Well, Lord's Supper is an act of taking the Lord's Supper as one body, and it's a sign to the, Lord, to the world. This act that we partake of, this act that we do every Sunday, it's a sign to the world. It's a nonverbal retelling of what happened at the cross. Those who come into a worship service and are not yet Christians, they witness this. We are communicating to them by this act that Jesus' death on the cross is the center of our lives. It's the center of our lives. By this act, that's what we communicate to the world. Jesus' death is the center of our life. It's the reason for our hope. It's what reconciles us to one another. Jesus' death is the center of everything. And so every time you take communion, you are proclaiming that death to the world. And we will do it until He comes. It says multiple times, as often as you drink it. We will do it until He comes. We will do it every week until He comes. When the church gathers... Because that is the center of our faith. It's the center of our lives. It's everything to us. The death of Jesus. And so, as we come to the Lord's table, let us do so in a worthy manner, examining ourselves to see whether or not we are at peace and in unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Examining ourselves to understand and remember our need 
our great need, and that that need is the same for everyone, no matter if you're rich or poor, male or female, white, black, something else, right? We all come to this table in need of Jesus' blood. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing together a communion hymn. Stay seated for this. We're going to sing a communion hymn together. As we sing it, uh, it's going to focus our minds and our hearts on the Lord, on His death and on communion. Uh, And then after we sing this communion hymn, I'll come back up, I'll pray for us, I'll lead us in taking communion, and then we'll have a time of meditation where we can uh, pray to the Lord, where we can go to the Lord, and uh, kind of like we do at the end of most sermons every week, but now we're doing it for communion and the sermon, we're responding to the Lord. So first let's sing together, and then we'll come back and take communion together as a body, I'll direct us in that, uh, and then we'll have a time of meditation and reflection. So let's sing.